Loaded show. Gail Goodrich, Truck Robinson, and Aaron James on the history of the Jazz organization going back to the New Orleans years. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. There's no way I'm going to say it better than Will Hardy, so I'm going to let him say it. The way they played last week, two losses, really bad losses against Portland and L.A., taking a step back from where they played in Phoenix. But it led to this. It necessitated this. The only two things that I care about are play hard and pass. Um, and we're at a point now where if you're not willing to do both of those things, you cannot play for the Utah Jazz. Um, I think we have had pockets where that's been our identity and we've had pockets where we have wavered um, in both departments. And I think the biggest thing right now is we just need more of a consistent focus on those two things and those two things only. Um, there are technical, tactical things that will be good. There are always mistakes made in a game um, from a execution standpoint. I think that's to be expected, but we can control our effort and we can control our willingness to pass the ball. There's no standout superstar. Lowry can make the all-star team, but he's not go on the block, give him the ball, he goes to work. Nobody on this team's that. Beyond Lowry, it's a bunch of role players. And they need to fit in their role so they can give themselves a chance. It's hard. They need to play as a team. No one person's going to save them. And that's where they get into trouble. Where one guy thinks he can do it all for them. But if they play as a team, if they play as a unit, they can stay competitive. I mean, it happened last season. Led by Mike Conley, but it happened last season. And against Phoenix, it happened this year. But they didn't show it against Portland or L.A. Saturday against the Pelicans was encouraging but they need to sustain that for 82. That's the challenge. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Ochai Baj will be on the show next. But now, you've got Gail Goodrich, Aaron James, and Truck Robinson. Gail is the Hall of Famer, one of the best lefties in all of basketball. More identifiable as a Laker than a Jazz fan. But he is a part of this history. Three seasons, one quality. His quality year, they almost make the playoffs. But he's a Laker. Why? Because his signing led to the drafting of Magic Johnson. Believe me, people don't let him forget it. But his Laker history is part of his jazz persona because New Orleans was built off the Lakers. Sam Battistone, the team's original owner and the guy who brought him to Utah, a Laker fan before he got into basketball. Barry Mendelson, the guy who we talk about with all three of these guys, he started the organization in a hotel in New Orleans. He was the man on the ground. He worked for the Lakers. Bill Burka, the team's first scout, a Laker guy. Butch Van Bredikoff, the team's second coach, a Laker guy. Elgin Baylor, his assistant, and then followed him up as the head man, a Laker legend. 
there are Lakers throughout the organization. Hot Rod Hundley was a former Laker. So Laker history is tied to those early jazz years. Aaron James, second guy up who you'll hear from. Team's first successful draft pick. Second rounder in 74. He played his entire career in New Orleans. And he was one of Pistol's best friends. There's a tremendous picture of him, Rich Kelly, Pistol Pete at Studio 54. Then Truck Robinson, an all-star in that successful 78 season. He was one of the bruisers of the 70s. And you'll hear from him, a true basketball historian. Loves the game, loves the history of it. We'll talk about it. So enjoy it. It's Gail Goodrich, Aaron James, and finishing up with Truck Robinson right here on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Popping off a lot, JP. talk about Jerry West, you talk about his shooting and about his scoring. I think he led the league in assists that year. In fact, I'm almost positive. Uh, he also averaged 25 points a game. Um, but you were the leading scorer. I was the leading scorer, and some of my, the teammates would probably say that I shot the most, and I think I probably did. <laughs> I had the most shots. But it was interesting. I, I sort of had a breakout season that year. And Charman, he would come to me and he said, look, he said, when you think you have a shot, you shoot it. I don't want you forcing anything. He says, when you come down, if you're open, I want you shooting the ball. He said, if the other players aren't down on the court, don't worry about it. I'll take care of them. And he gave me the green light to shoot the ball. And offensively, um, and I was pretty good at going without the basketball. I had learned that from John Wooden. Um, at UCLA, um, and we put the ball in Jerry's hands, and you know, Jerry recognized that and really changed his game a little bit, um, and the ball should have been in Jerry's hands. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I led the team in scoring. It was my best year, and um, I took most shots. Uh, and, and KC was funny because at halftime um, – He'd come over and he, Casey would have the uh, stat sheet. And he'd say, seven for nine, you're hot, keep shooting. Then I'd have a game where I'm one for 10 at halftime. He'd go, one for 10. He says, saturation method, keep shooting. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're a scorer with that kind of support right. and encouragement, that's great. Um, and, uh, you know, we. We were the, we were definitely the best team in the league. Uh, we did get a wake up call the first game in the playoffs against the Knicks. They blew us out, uh, I think by twenty or twenty three, something like that. And um, so it was a wake up call. You know, we then bounced back and and um, won the next four. Um, but um, by and large, it was a dream season. That sets the little seeds for you coming to New Orleans because Barry Mendelssohn's there. He falls in love with your game. He eventually signs you to the New Orleans Jazz. How did that signing come about where Barry, that relationship, cements you with the New Orleans Jazz? Well, it did. And you also got to remember that Bill Burke, uh, 
Yes. Was with the Lakers, and he was a very good friend uh, for a long time. And he still is. And uh, he, uh, you know, he's still with the Lakers in some capacity. But um, I had uh, played my option out, quote option in those days, um, a couple years later after 72. And um, I could not come to an agreement with uh, Jack Kent Cook, who was then the owner. And Jack Kent Cook was, at those days, you didn't have options like you do now. Uh, and I refused to sign a contract because we couldn't come to a mutual agreement on the dollars. Uh, and Jack Kent Cook fined me $40,000. He was entitled because I missed, I didn't go to training camp. I missed the first, I don't know, three or four games. And he just wouldn't pay me. So he fined me $40,000. Now, he couldn't do that with a collective bargaining agreement, but he said, nah, the hell with that. I'm taking the money from him, which later I had to sue the Lakers to get what was duly mine. And Cook sold the team to Jerry Buss, and Jerry gave me the money back, okay, because he wasn't entitled to it. Right. <laughs> um, but I, so when he, when that season, which was 75, 76, I guess it was. Yep. Um, you know, I played without a contract. I went and finally I showed up. Um, my agent was Larry Flasher at the time. And he said, Gail, he says, Cook is trying to make a, a, a an example out of you. And so he says, we'll just go play and you won't sign a contract. At the end of the year, you'll be free. Well, free is, <laughs> is by definition, is in many, it's many ways in, in different people. So it was different that time. It was very different. I was not really free. So uh, here I was, um, and um, Perry Mendelson and New Orleans came to me and said, we'll sign you, and they knew they were going to have to give some kind of compensation. Um, so I went and signed with New Orleans. Um, unfortunately, the league looked at that and said, we don't want anybody else playing out their option. So as a result, we're going to take a lot of draft choices from the, from the Jazz. Uh, and I think it was either, I think it was three different, three draft choices and a trade of a second or so. I can't remember. It's been so long. But it was unheard of, the amount of compensation. And it was after the fact. I mean, New Orleans didn't know this. Barry didn't know this. And I doubt very much whether he would have signed me if knowing that kind of compensation because three years later, and I knew it was at the end of my career, I was going to go to New Orleans and play three more years. That was my plan. Three years later, we did not have a very good team. And along comes this guy named Magic Johnson, uh, who's in the draft. And, you know, we... We were, you know, we were last, and so uh, it goes to the Lakers. The Lakers first pick, they hit Magic Johnson. But it was a coin flip too. I mean, there was some. Yeah, I think, yeah there was. Play. Yeah, there was a coin flip. Yeah, because back in that day, it was the last record in the West, last record. Yes. In the East. Yeah, you're right. You're and then there was right. a coin flip. Yeah. And it was with between the Lakers and the Bulls. Of who uh, is that? Who it was? Okay. Who would get it? Yeah. Uh -huh. And so it had to be fortuitous that they get 
eventually Magic Johnson. So yeah. a lot of steps had to go along. Yeah, and, and they all went wrong for, the jazz. Went wrong for the, the jazz. The Jazz, because, yeah, that, that turned out to be a pretty good deal for the Lakers. So um, anyway, that, that's how I ended up in New Orleans. Barry told me that when he was solidifying the deal, you called him from a payphone. That's correct. And you were saying, I'm not leaving this payphone until this is, deal is completely 100%. And Barry said, "Okay, but I have to. I have to call Sam Battistone and get yeah, this yeah, yeah. get this all checked out." Yeah. And then he calls you back, and the deal's done. Yeah, um, he did. That was true. Uh, it was also interesting because Jack Kent Cook was also calling me, okay. and Jack had heard that I was about ready to sign with New Orleans, and I had already. And, then, and he actually, I wouldn't take his call because okay. I was. I was through with the, with with Cook and, and the Lakers, and so I would take his call. And I knew he was uh, he was calling me because he wanted to up the ante, or, or you know. And I just said, "No, I'm through." I I didn't talk to him, and uh, I I uh, I talked to uh, my agent, and I said, "You know, I made a promise that I with Barry that I would you know I committed to the Jazz, and I'm keeping that promise." When you were on the floor, the first year was injury riddled, but the second year there was a chance for the playoffs. That's this, correct. I, this was the season. Yeah, we. I think we lost uh, by one game. We missed the playoffs, and uh, yeah, um, the first season I had I suffered uh, an Achilles problem. Um, played I don't know twenty games or so, but I I play I didn't tear it, but I I I uh, I, uh, it, I, uh, I it was shredding. So I flew back to Los Angeles and had Dr. Job, who is famous for the uh, Tommy John surgery. Um, he did it. Um, and um, I uh, recovered. That was in January. And I, I, I worked hard and recovered so that I came to training camp the following, uh, uh, I guess, September it was. And um, uh, we played that year, and uh, we just missed it by uh, one game. Uh, after that, Mer- in the third year, Maravich got hurt, um, and we, we sort of went downhill. If Pistol Pete doesn't have injuries, how do people remember him as a player? I think they remember Pete as a guy, a player who had tremendous individual skills and talent. Um, I would say... Very few pit players at that time had more skills. I mean, he he's a tremendous passer. Uh, he was a good shooter. His percentages weren't great because I think, in my opinion, he took a lot of questionable forced shots. Um, oh, my God, if we'd had the three-point play then. Right. Because he had great range. But I think that... Um, you know, unfortunately, I don't think he ever... Well, he played in Boston, but he didn't play that much. But I don't think that he played on, on, on a winning team. Um, and But he had tremendous individual skills, um, without question. What kind of showman was he? Because even in that year where everything was lining up for the playoffs, it ends because Pete attempts a behind between-the-legs pass and falls down in pain because he injures himself. Well, 
Yeah, he was a showman. There's no question about that. You know, he uh, really revolutionized basketball in the South. Um, basketball in the South wasn't that much. It was all football. But then Pete comes along, and in LSU, he, they fall in love with him. He's charismatic. He's a showman. Um, you know, he plays on the LSU freshman team. Uh, after the game is after, uh, excuse me, the game is before the varsity game. Um, they pack the house, and when the freshman game's over, everybody, everybody leaves. leaves. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he... And he is the college scoring record in three years. He, he, he accomplished still, it in yeah, three yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was pretty much the whole team, yeah. you know? And um, so, uh, you know, he his dad was the coach, and they he shot. They ran everything for him. And, uh, boy, when he was on, he was unbelievable. What was it like to play with him alongside that type of talent? Well, I was fortunate enough to play. Well, first of all, you lots see of lots of, <laughs> lots, lots of, uh, you know, fortunate, lot, lots of great players, you know, starting when I was at UCLA. Um, and, you know, uh, and then particularly playing with, with Jerry West, who was entirely different time. But Jerry was much more um, a fundamentalist. You knew what he was going to do. And Jerry I, and I had that uh, charisma or the communication on the court where I knew where he was going to do, or where he was going, or what he wanted to do, and he knew, and I would adjust, and then he would adjust to me. I mean, it was great communication, which is hard to find, um, and it was just sort of instinctive. Uh, with Pete, um, you know, the first year I get hurt, uh, then the second, you know, then you know, the third year, and I think he got hurt late in the second year. I'm not positive. On he did that. he did? Yeah, yeah. and so. You know, and I was at the end of, end of my career, so I wasn't quite as quick as I was before. So we never really meshed together. We 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 didn't complement one another. It was a bad combination, um, and I sort of can't explain it except that it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. The the two of us, it really didn't. Um, and uh, like I said, I got hurt, then he got hurt, and you know. Um, we did not have the success that I, that I thought we would have going there. What was Elgin like as a coach? Elgin was, uh, how do I explain this now? Elgin was different than most of the coaches. First of all, Elgin was unbelievable talent mm -hmm. as a player. And he knew how to do things instinctively. Um, and I'm not sure that he was a great teacher because of that. Because to him, a coach is, naturally. Well, yes. A coach is, is a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll find, a, I think, if you look through history, you'll find a lot of coaches that are really good coaches. They weren't great players. They knew the game. They knew, they knew how to teach. Mm -hmm. They knew how to uh, instruct uh where a great player knows how to play. He's got great skills, and sometimes those skills can take over from fundamentals. Um, and I think that was one thing that Elgin had trouble doing, is that 
And I think Wes, when you know, when he was coaching, they knew how to play. They knew how to how to do it, but and they didn't have a great deal of patience. Either one right. of them, okay? And you know, they expected the players to be like they were. Well, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that you know that sort of restricted Elgin. I mean, you wouldn't say that Elgin was a great coach or will go down as a great coach. You would say absolutely as a player. player. As a player. I mean, you know, he was... He was in the Army and still... Oh, no, no, it's unbelievable. I used to watch him, you know, because I was growing up in Los Angeles. And, you know, one year he... um, Well, what he would do was he was in the Army and he'd get weekend furloughs. Wouldn't practice all week. You know, when he was in um, Minneapolis, the, we were, he'd get on a plane, go meet the team. And, you know, that year, I believe he averaged 38 and 20, something like that. I mean, I, I, I mean that those numbers stick out to me. He was unbelievable. And, you know, I was um, in high school when in 61 uh, or 60 when the, when the Lakers came to Los Angeles and— um, so I used to just go to the games and watch the games on TV, and um, and uh, he'd get the ball off the board at six five, lead the fast break, and beat everybody down court. He's very very strong, um, and uh, you could not knock the hand the ball uh, that the ball out of his hands. And uh, you know he he he'd play with us uh, when I when he's my teammate. He'd hold the ball and say, knock the ball out of my head. You couldn't do it. I mean, you'd, you know, I don't care how strong you were, you're not going to take that ball away. And, you know, he, he's a very smart player. Uh, sometimes he'd drive to the, to the middle. He, he didn't have a good shot. He'd throw it up on the backboard and go get it and then put it back in. Um, I mean, he, he really he understood the game. Um, he had, but I don't know that, you know, in, in 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 analyzing him as a coach, you would not say you're gonna he's gonna teach you the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he was a good friend. Um, I enjoyed playing for him. I enjoyed playing with him. Uh, I actually had a basketball camp with Elgin. Um, so uh, and, and he certainly missed. Would he jump in on practices? Uh, you know, Aaron James is playing, and Aaron, you know, Aaron James couldn't guard him. Trek couldn't guard him. And, you know, he's retired. I don't know. He's in what, his 40s. I mean, you know, late 40s. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, he. but I, um, I I don't remember him jumping in that much when I was there. But, you know, I, I wasn't there at the first couple of years of, uh, sure. the, of, of the franchise. Uh, and, uh, but, yeah, he, uh, they couldn't guard him. I mean, you know, he's, I don't know, he's got to be late 40s. I don't know. And these guys, yeah, he was interesting, a good guy. How would you rate the overall experience of playing in New Orleans? You're in this huge building, the Superdome. The Superdome, yeah. It's this cavernous place. This is the prototype for what people use now with NCAA tournaments right. playing in these big domes. But yeah. it had to be a little different the first time that you walk out there. Well, it really was different. Um, first of all, you're isolated. You got no background. Um, 
you know, in, in, the, in the arena of, you know, even 20,000 people, you got a background when you go to shoot the ball. In the Superdome, <laughs> you don't have a background. You're out there in the middle. Um, and uh, it, it, it is different. You get used to it. Um, and, you know, initially you're overwhelmed by it, but then it's not a problem. Um, my overall experience, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. I had always played on championship teams from high school to college to the Lakers. And coming to New Orleans, you know, by and large, you know, we had, we weren't a championship team. So that mentally was, was a little bit difficult for me because, and it, it got, as it got to the end, I knew when we went out on the court that we have to play our very best game to have a chance to win. Where before, we're probably going to win. That was a different attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little difficult for me um, mentally. Um, also, I was getting at the end of my career where I'm now starting to play. I lose that half step, uh, which everybody does. You know, I was, when I cried, I was 36. I was the oldest player in the league. Um, and at that time, I was really playing with smarts. I'm playing with the experience of the 14 years of playing professionally, and I'm cutting a half step here, cutting a half step there. So it's it, it's a little bit harder for me. And especially because I think when Pete was hurt, in the, at the end of the, I mean, I'm playing 36, 38 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it takes a little bit more <laughs> to recover. Um, and uh, I always thought, well, maybe I could have played. Uh, you know, then at the end of the year, of course, Jazz came here. Uh, and so I'm sitting there and I said, well, you know, I played 14 years. Um, we don't have a great team. I mean, our, we're, like I said, competitively, it's tough for us. And it's mentally it's tough to go out there and, and, and not win. I, I'm used to winning. And I'm very competitive, and I'm not happy when we don't win. So I said it, it was really time for me to, to retire. Um, and uh, so I did. I always thought if I played on a good team where I didn't have to play so many minutes and I could have played you know, 20 minutes or whatever, I could have probably played maybe another couple of years. But I, at that point, I was... I, w- I was happy with my career, and I just said, it's just time. You played against Jerry? Jerry Sloan? Jerry Sloan, I did play against him, yes. What was it like to go against Jerry Sloan? You Jerry, hear stories. Jerry Sloan came out of college the same year I did. Okay. He went to Evansville, and actually I played. Uh, we played on the same team at the Olympic trials in 64. Okay. Um, Jerry was a very good player. Tough as nails. Um, you play against him. Of course, in those those years, you could be a little bit more physical than you can now. Uh, you knew you were going to battle with him. Um, and, uh, you know, he came here. He was, he was a great coach here. Um, and you do it his way. He, there's, you know, he, there was no uh, shortcuts. And... Uh, 
you did it his way. Uh, I, I believe he, I've heard that he'd sit you over there on the bench and you'd think about it till his way. You decided his way was the best way. Yes. And, you know, you've got to go out there and give you 100%. And, um, but, he, you know, he was a very tough, hard-nosed uh, uh, player, uh, especially defensively. I mean, you, you knew you were in the game. And with him and Van Leer in Chicago, yep. I mean, you know, Van Leer, he, Van Leer guarded me most of the time, but Terry did also sometimes. But it was like, you know, a war. I mean, you didn't embarrass him. Uh, he did not want to be embarrassed. And, you know, he's, it's like, um, you know, you play against uh, Oscar mm-hmm. Robertson. And, you know, Oscar, you know, he, he'd take you, and he's, hey, you got a 15-footer? Eh, I can get a 10-footer. And, 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 you know, he... You just would, and I would guard Oscar uh, as little as I could, and or as much as I could. And um, Oscar, um, he was such a great team player. Um, you um, you sort of hope that he you lull him to sleep. You don't want to disturb Oscar because he, that he's going to go off. You know, you just hope that you know he's happy just passing the ball here and passing the ball here, getting all the other players involved. Otherwise, he's going to go for 30 on you, you know. Um, but it's interesting about, you know, they talk about the uh, um, the triple. Uh, triple double. Triple double. Well, you know, that that's a, it's a phrase that I, I, I hear now and, and I look and watch this. And the younger players have no idea that in my era and before my era, you didn't get an assist for a guy hitting a 15 or 18 foot or a, a 20 foot jump shot. You got an assist only when the guy makes a layup. The ball leads directly to an easy basket. Mm-hmm. Oscar had a triple double in that era. So you look at all these assists, and I know what Stockton is probably at the top, but you don't get those assists in that era unless it's a layup on the break, basically. Mm-hmm. And Oscar's, you know, getting 10 assists a game, you know, which is sort of interesting. But anyway, the game has changed dramatically and for the good, I think. Favorite lefties of all time? Well, myself. No. You're in there. <laughs> You're in there. You're in the top lefties of, of all time in basketball. Oh, God. Bill Russell was a lefty? Oh, well, yeah. Bill I mean, Russell. he leads, he's the captain yeah, of the team. Yeah, without question. You know, I, I, I always said that if I'm going to start a team, mm-hmm. he's the first player I take. He's a winner, and we we had a great relationship. And I always had good success, even driving against a uh, uh, Russell. Um, but he called me lefty. We call each other lefty. Um, but yeah, without question, he's just, he's just the number one guy. I like I said, if I'm going to start a team, and I played with Wilt, and I played with Kareem, and yeah, while they may have had more basketball skills in terms of winning, I want Bill Russell on my team. Um, Lanier mm-hmm. was a, uh, I think Lanier, myself, were probably at the top of left-handed scorers. Um, I'm not sure. You got to go a long way to find lefties. Manu. Uh, who? Manu Ginobili. He was you. He, you after you. He, 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 uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because. Because he went to the free throw line a bunch. Well, yeah. In fact, one year, I think I led the. Uh, I was definitely for the guards. I led the league in most free throws attempted, yep. you know, because I do like to go to the basket. I said that when I watched Manobo, uh, Mano, I said, he's a 6'5 me. Yep. 
you know? Um, and um, without question, I, I, I liked watching him a lot, and um, he's a great player, you know? Sadly, Harden, James Harden. Harden is uh, an interesting guy. Yeah, he's a lefty. Um, he's not the same player that he was a no. few years ago. I'm watching the Clippers to see how that all works out. I would say right now that I'm not optimistic. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, without question, uh, he is uh, one of the great left-handed players, without a doubt. I mean, you know what, it's the MVP a couple of years, right? But I don't know that he's going to fit in with that Clipper play as much as that franchise thinks he will. You're the best lefty in jazz history, I think. I think it's safe to say. Career resume, I think you would have it. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Hall of Famer, Gail Goodrich on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Gail, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. enjoy playing with we call him Peter I enjoy okay. playing with Peter because I can score and Peter if you can run and and get open he passed the ball if you give him that assist now if you don't get that assist on Peter you don't uh he won't throw you that ball no more neither but I, I, I tell this story all the time too and this is actually the truth uh when I first got there it was amazing because Peter hold on to that ball a lot. So it was another guy from Grambling, his name James Jones. He played with uh, the Bullets, and he played in the ABA for the, the Utah Stars. For him. I had a great career here. And uh, I called Jimmy. I said, Jay, let me ask you a question. I said, man, I can't get that ball from Pete. He said, I tell you what you do. When Peter's out there playing with the ball, you – Go over there and take your man to him. And then you get to the open spot. Say, your man going to double him. And you get open and you can shoot. And that really works, too. It works. It worked for you because you were AJ from the parking lot. Yeah, I, 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 I could shoot from a long range. And they still over some points from college and professional because we didn't have the three done that, done that time. And if you had the three-point line, you would have had plenty uh, of more points. Plenty more points, exactly. Exactly. Describe your game. What was it like? Because Hot Rod gave you that nickname, Hot Rod Hundley, the broadcaster yeah. for the New Orleans Jazz and the Utah Jazz when they came back. You were a shooter on those teams. I, I was a shooter. It's amazing. And, well, well, if you go back to college, my senior year in college, I led the nation in scoring. I was 32.5. And, but with, with my body structure, not my weight, my height, they wanted to make me a power forward, but I'm not a power forward. 
it's just like those big guys. They could, and during that time, you can hang check. And so they can put their hand on me and move me all over the floor. I'm today in today's game, I probably would be a two mm-hmm. because of the way they play today. But I can run, I have finesse, I could score, and I, I had a good jump shot. Do you remember when Hot Rod would call you AJ from Park? All the time. I, I tell you what's amazing. I just left New Orleans. I came here from New Orleans. And people still in New Orleans called me AJ from the parking lot. And I tell you what, I think one of the greatest compliments that I've ever gotten was that. And when Hot Rod died, I read something that he had wrote. He said he gave a lot of people nicknames in this game over the years. But he said the best one he probably have given to anyone was AJ from the parking lot. Wow, and that's you. Yeah. Do you remember those first years in New Orleans and what basketball was like in the late 70s? Most definitely. I, I tell you what, we had, uh, it was a little chaotic because we, uh, I think it was new to the city, but the fans loved it. And I was reading, there were 25,000 people oh, at the Superdome. For I, tell people, I tell, tell people all the time, the big crowds, we started all of that. I think we played the Lakers one night, and the night after, or two nights later, we played Philly. We might have had 30, you know, but uh, I think one of the biggest challenges we had was facilities. You know, we started off, we played in the Municipal Auditorium, mm-hmm. and we played in, in, La, in Laola Fieldhouse. And Laola Fieldhouse had an elevated floor, like uh, Vanderbilt. And you had nets. A, around the court, exactly, definitely. But uh, we got through all of it, and I don't. I, I think we had a good group of guys, and it took a little time to jail, and we really started playing together, playing well. And Peter got hurt that year, mm-hmm. and I think if Pete didn't get hurt, we probably would have made it to the playoffs that time. Well, in that um, year, he got hurt on a pass to you. He did. He did, and he got the assist. Yes. <laughs> You finished the play, which exactly. is crazy about the exactly. entire thing. But tell, take me through that moment. What was what led to that injury for Pete? I, uh, he was on a fast break, and uh, he jumped in there and went behind his back and between his legs, and he threw it between his legs to me, and he came down and he hit his knee on the floor. Yeah, I can. And every so often, that game come on television, and you can see it. And I got a little granddaughter. She don't believe that's me to till today. <laughs> what was that team like? Because you had Gail Goodrich, right. who I just spoke to, and you had Truck Robinson as every rebounding record for right. the Jazz right now. Even now, he yeah. has every rebounding record. What was that team that almost made the playoffs but couldn't you, get there? You, you know, I think the team chemistry was good, and then we had gotten to know each other. We was more like family. And if you look at it till today, like I told you, I've seen him twice this year. I went to Sun Valley this summer and stayed a week out there with Rich Kelly. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, all of us still talk. E.C. Coleman, Bud Stallworth, Nate Williams, and, uh, and, uh, uh, Louis Nelson, you know, we talked maybe once a month, once a month, other month. I think had a good combination, and we liked each other. You know, we used to do things together, and uh, we was true family. 
we had our mishaps too, and we fall out and stuff of that nature, but we always would come back together. We had a, we had a good unit. There's a picture of you with uh, Rich Kelly and Pete at Studio 54. <laughs> you have a good story about that? Uh, no, I'm, I'm gonna tell you the true story about that. Okay. Okay, true story. Pete and I and Rich went to Studio 54. We get out the taxi, line the hottest club in the world. Yeah, at that time. At that time. Line around the corner. The guy looked, pistol, bring you and your people here. We walked straight through. So the next night, Rich and I said, Rich said, AJ, you want to go back? I said, yeah. So Rich and I go, hell, we didn't get in. <laughs> True story. What was it like to hang out with Pete, knowing he's an icon in New Orleans? He's an icon everywhere. He was the most famous basketball player in college when he was he was playing at that time. Right. You, you know what's amazing? And I don't know, is it, was it the Louisiana thing or what? But him and I jail pretty good. And uh, but and and people just didn't they, they gravitated to him. He wasn't snobbish and he never shoved them away. But they didn't get overly aggressive with him, you know. And and uh, and, and 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 he was good with it. He really was. Who were some other notable personalities on those teams? You were hanging with Rich Kelly. Rich Kelly played for that team, and then he came back and he played for the Jazz he when did. they came to Utah. Mm-hmm. Who were some of the players that you really gelled with, got along with? Gail, Ron Behagen, Nate Williams, E.C. Coleman, Louis Nelson, Jimmy McElroy, um, Freddie Boyd. You, you know, and all Freddie just passed. Mm-hmm. And, but all of us, st- at least we got to talk two or three times a year. And I might talk to Rich more. I talked to Jimmy McElroy quite a bit. I talked to Trump quite a bit. But most of us are still in contact. And that's just amazing. Yeah. It really is. Nate was telling me a story about how he learned to fish. Did he tell you about the the P-Roll? No, tell me. <laughs> he went fishing and it was late before practice. It was late for practice. Him and Mac was in the P-Roll and they fell in that water. Oh, wow. <laughs> Next time when you talk to Nate, tell him, tell, 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 tell him about the P-Roll. He fell in the water? Yeah, he fell out the boat. And he got he was late for practice. Did yeah. he get fined? Yes. He came in there, he was wet. <laughs> what was the fine? I, I, I really don't know. You know, during that time, he might fine you $100. Right. I'm going to tell you a good story about fines. Okay. And until today. And... I'm a sticker about time. I like to be on time. And I'm gonna be I'll be on time for church. I get the same seat every Sunday. And look like if I don't go, they tell me that seat stay empty because they think I'm coming. Okay, but uh when Butch Van Bridikoff was coach, he takes the fine money and at the end of the year, they have a big party. Mm-hmm. And but it's gone now. Mm-hmm. Two, three years, I haven't gotten fined because I don't get fined. So one day, Butch told the comptroller, 
find him a hundred dollars anyway because he come, he eat all the food, he drank all the beer, he had the best time at the party. So he took a hundred dollars out of my check. You know, during that time, that was a lot of money. That is a lot of money. That is a lot of money. 1977, Pete scores 68 against the Knicks. Right. What do you remember of that game and how Pete played? Oh, he played extremely well. He really did. He shot the ball well. But uh, I'm like Press, no, Press Marriage, Pete Daddy. Yeah. If you would ask Press about that, Press would tell you that wasn't nothing. One day he got to shoot 100 and make 100. That's how Press was. But I, I, I tell you another good story about that. You, you know, we got an organization, Retired Players Association, mm-hmm. and we go on different trips and they do different things. And so I really realized then that I didn't miss basketball. I missed the camaraderie with the boys, you know. So, and everybody talk about each other. So I told Earl one day, I said, Earl, you know, Pete got 68 on you. He said, no, 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 no. That's not right. He got four on me and 64 on Clyde. (laughs) (laughs) Putting it all on Clyde Frazier. Yeah, yeah. It's a cold world. Yeah. That is a standout game. Another one, we were talking before we started recording, in Phoenix, and you're taking a cab, and that cab gets into a car wreck. What happened there? Well, it was three, four of us. Was going to hit this. I can't, I don't remember the name of the soul food, but it was a really popular place. And we always would go there when we go to Phoenix. And we caught a taxi. And uh, the driver, he was driving pretty fast, and we told him to slow down. And he told us he, he'd been driving in New York for 10 years. He knew how to drive. And by that time, he ran a red light. And somebody hit us. And uh, we was all laid out on the ground. Oh my goodness. Really? On the street? Uh, on the street. Yeah, Emily's everything came. And uh I might have missed twenty some games that year. I probably missed more games then than I've ever missed. And I don't I I don't think Bud Starworth ever played again. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you win the game. Yeah. But I believe we had seven players. Seven players on the floor yeah. but you guys won the game. Mm-hmm. Those you, you know, those are the type of things the Jazz do. It'd be unpredictable, you know. We was that type of team. We might lose tonight by 30. Then we come back out tomorrow night and beat the best team. You know, it's just, it was, a, some days it was it was on for us. Chaotic time of the, the era. Exactly, exactly. Very strange results. Mm-hmm. 1978, the Iceman game. He's going for the scoring record against David Thompson. He needs like 60 points to get get it. Right. And he's playing the jazz. Right. And he gets it. What kind of performance did you see that night? Oh, it, it, it was amazing. But realistically, you can't stop him anyway. Then that night, you weren't passing it to no one else. He got it every time down the floor. So you had a hard time. We had, we had a guy named uh, Gus Bailey. And, and Gus a pretty good defensive player. It really is. And uh, I don't know, Gus might have got, he might have got 15 or something in the first first quarter. And Elgin was coaching him with a boy named 
Fred Sanders. And Fred, you saw always talking about hating guard the ice because he was from Michigan and stuff. I just might got 25 in that second quarter. So basically, when you put the 25 and the 15, he might have got 40 in the half. Yeah. What type of player was Iceman? He was silky. Yeah. Uh, he was thin. And you thought that I believe you can beat up on him because he was so small. But some kind of way he get it done. And now I played against him in uh, in college, Eastern Michigan. We, we were at All-Star game one year, and I was with my son, and he was with his son. And he said, sit down, Aaron. Let me t- let's give these little boys some history. He said, Ice might have got 34 that night, and I might have got 32, exactly when he was at Eastern Michigan. But he was a tremendous scorer, and he did it a lot of different ways. He finger rolled it, he hooked it, he shot the jumper. He, he did it a lot of different ways. He was ways. like the 12-foot finger roll. Yeah. He did it from a ways away. Exactly. And he was the start of some really good players out of Michigan. Michigan low-key has developed a lot. It, it, they really have. But, but uh, we played with another guy now. He said he got it started. Who? Spencer Haywood. Oh, yeah. 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 Spencer was on the team with us one year. He was. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. player was he? Spencer was a, was a great player. I'm, I'm, I tell you a good story about Spencer, and I always tell Spencer this, too. Spencer likes to post up and throw the ball down there to him. So, so I think I might have been a rookie. Then he said, Rook, he said, look, look here, Rook. You know you can score. So I tell you what. You know when I post up down there, they gonna double up. So you get to the open spot, it's coming right back out. It never did come right back out. <laughs> it never did come right back out. Nah. Would it ever come back out? Every now and then. Okay, but it wouldn't come out but then immediately. The, then it stopped going down in there too. <laughs> you still had to get yours. Yeah. Looking at the way things ended in New Orleans and people think you were the first player to say, I didn't want to come to Utah. But that's not true. That's not true. It's, that's not how it ended and, up. And I've been through that before, too. Yeah. It, my contract was up. And free agency wasn't like it is today. I think it was the beginning of free agency. And Chicago wanted to sign, sign me. And I believe L- Lewis was the GM then, Chaffel. Yep, Lewis Chaffel. And they uh, they told Chicago if they signed me, they want a number one. They ain't giving up a number one. So Lewis wanted to sign me. He wanted to sign me for five years, and none of it was guaranteed. And I told Lewis, I'll take a year or two like that, but I can't take five. And he, 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 he didn't want to do it. And so a team in Seattle, Italy, Antonini, Gave me a two-year guarantee, and so I went to Italy. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've, I've never seen it. I had never been here. I didn't know anything about Salt Lake City. I wanted to stay in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I really did. Mm-hmm. But I, I think things happen for the best, and I tell people all the time, too, I guess you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them because when I, after I left Italy, I, went and, I played in the Philippines. And when I came back here, 
uh, uh, Dale Harris, he was in Houston, and he told me to come try out. I said, Dale, I can't try out because he might have had all his followers had guaranteed money. He said, you see, I promise you, I'm going to be fair. Best man win. So I said, well, I guess I'll try it there. And, uh, and I did, and I played extremely well. But one thing I liked about Dale, he was honest with me at the end. He told me, he said, you deserve it, but I just can't do it because they, they ain't going to let those guaranteed contracts go. And so that's, what, that's when I knew it was, it was time. I had to do some other things, and it worked out good for me. I've had a, a great post-career, if you want to say, and I, I just left New Orleans, and I see about three, four of my players that I coached, and then I have taught also too, and it's really makes you feel good when you see those kids and you touch their life and they're being successful. And, and, and outside of New Orleans is Jefferson Parish, they call it. The superintendent of Jefferson Parish of education is named James Gray. I coach James Gray. So those are the type of things that really, you know, make you feel good about something. Yeah, tell people about your post-playing career because you went back to Grambling, yeah. coached at Grambling, you were in athletics at, at Grambling. I started off doing Jarvis Christian College okay. in Tyler, Texas, an NAIA school. And then I stayed, I stayed there two years. Then they needed assistant for women at Grambling. And I went to, I came back, I coached women. And one thing about it, Louisiana, Politics and education is just like anything else because when you change your government, governor, you change your, your board. So governors change, presidents change, your positions change at the university. And I had worked in athletics, athletic administration. I worked in the foundation. Then they put me in the classroom. And I want to fight them for that. But that's the best thing that ever happened to me because you could tenure. So basically, now I'm good. I'm good. And, and then I was, you, you know, you get the gratification of helping people. And, and, and uh, it, was, it was really good. What's it like to come to Salt Lake, not a place that you played, but to see that the franchise still has a legacy and you're part of that legacy and yeah. you're seeing some of your former teammates this weekend. You know, it's amazing. And uh, because... I don't think we'd never partner with Utah since they've been here. And it was just amazing that they did, they are doing what they're doing, and they're going back to the first days and they're putting it all together, which I think that's the right thing to do. And even, uh, but, but I think people in the NBA, it's just like the Pelicans. If, if I want to go to a game, I can just call them and they don't have a problem with it, you know. I might go to one or two a year. And but uh, it makes it, it feels good. Then I tell you, it's a lot of times that when I speak to kids or something that they don't listen and they don't know, so I have to talk in their terms. I say, wait, wait, just Google me, and then they get the left phone out and they look at it. Like, Ooh, then I can I I can handle them a little better. They see that you had. The afro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, they love that. It's a good picture. Because it's back, too, now. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. That's a good picture. You look pretty good back then. Hell, I couldn't grow it now, though. 
We're glad to have you here, able to watch the Jazzy and the Pelicans tomorrow for the 70s Decade Night. He is Aaron James, the first successful draft pick in the history of the Jazz organization on Roundball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. On the posters, it was the pistol and the power. <laughs> Leonard Truck Robinson joins us on Round Ball Roundup on YouTube. I didn't know that. Yeah, on the promotional posters, you were the power. I know. Oh, that, so they called it what again now? The pistol and, and the, the power. power. That's you the first time power. I heard that one. You were the power. Well, yeah, during those days. <laughs> Tell me about your game because people don't know. If there's a rebounding, you see 20 rebounds by a jazz man today in 2023. You were doing that every day. <laughs> you, you have every single rebounding record in a game for the Utah Jazz. Well, it was from a couple of reasons, JP. In college, I averaged in the last two years over 17 a game. I think Marvin Barnes at Providence averaged not even one more, but he won the big title. And it was just something I learned how to do. And then as a rookie, uh, playing with Elvin Hayes and Wes Unsel. Wes Unsel was only 6'7", but he was about 275. And he, of course, a big E. So I learned from those guys every day in practice. And Wes would work with me and tell me, at my size and my little 6'7", guys are going to try me. You, you, you're going to have to get a reputation as a tough guy. Not by fighting or nothing. Never had a fight. But you got to do that. So I owed a lot to Wes Unsel and stuff like that. And uh, it was something that I really, really like enjoyed doing. And of course, you know, during my era playing, I don't know how many centers in the Hall of Fame, but I played against all of them during that time. <laughs> you know, Kareem seven two, Artis Gilmore seven two, Big Mark Eaton seven four, Craig goodness, Caldwell Jones and Philly seven one, Tree Rollins seven two. I mean, I'm just naming a few, but it's a ton. Ton, all of them seven foot. And he used to guide me occasionally in games. Moses Malone in his time, ooh, goodness of life. I named him tuna, you know, big like a tuna, like a fish. So I was battling, oh, Robert Perry, I mean, all of them. I can go on and name all night. So all the seven footers, I had to learn how to get rebounds on those guys. And people, you know, was kind of astonished that at six, seven, I, I, you shouldn't be getting any rebounds. And then, of course, not counting the forwards. Maurice Lucas, uh, I mean, you could just, Elvin Hayes, a forward. All, so not only battling the, battling the centers, I'm battling the big power forwards at the same time. But I enjoyed that a lot. I didn't think I had no deficiency against them. Of course, I wish I was about 6'9". I could have got a few more. A few more got off my fingertips. <laughs> Is there a secret to it? Yeah, well, it's a secret and an art to it. And I've always, I used to have a basketball big man camp years ago when Clem Haskins was at Minnesota. He sent guys to me. And, uh, you know, I, they always thought it was like a trick or they call me, hey, you're tricking these guys. And I basically told them, you got to want to do it. You can't think of getting hurt because Kareem and all the 72 guys, my head is right by the elbow all the time. Mm-hmm. You can't be a watcher because you're watching guys jump they're going to come down, you're going to get eight, nine, ten stitches all the time. So it gave them pointers like that. 
And you had to be physical, not fighting physical. I never had a fight, never even almost had a fight. But you had to be physical because you set the standard, this is the way I'm going to play, and the, and the referees understand it. And nobody pushes you out the way, throw you down. You know, I, I just had a, went a mean streak, but I just had a streak that these things weren't going to happen to me. And when I got a chance to get it, the little guard wasn't going to take it when I came down. He was yours. He was going to get hit. They had no flagrant then, but he was going to get hit. And, of course, I did hit quite a few guys, guards, forwards, centers. And I didn't have nobody do all that work jumping and come down with it and got knocked it out of my hand. When I see that today, that's embarrassing. I say all the time, I need to show those guys how to, you know, how to protect the ball and what you do. It ain't about knowing the elbows and all like that. So you really got to know what you're doing. That's basically, if you know what you're doing, you can board. What was it to play with a player like Wes Unseld? Wes was the best outlet passer yes. of the era, right? And the best is my time screen setter. You run in the West. Just go running that wall right then, and you no, I'm not kidding. It's the same. You, you didn't knock him over or off balance or nothing. He'll knock you out. Now a little different, we know that, but he was a great screen setter, great screen, because he's he's so wide, you know, big. He kind of like Charles. He was a big Charles Barkley, mm-hmm. same height. West one more than six seven. Couldn't couldn't run, couldn't jump, couldn't 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 dribble good, couldn't shoot good, but. We played we play Lakers when I was with the Bullets. We beat them all the time. Mm-hmm. He get 25 rebounds when we played the Lakers. I mean, I don't want to downplay guys today, but guys today, as you know, the ball go up and it's not an offensive rebound. The guy within nine feet. And I was looking like last time I, he was talking to Thurl, uncontested rebounds by yourself? No. You have to box out, push a guy, hold a guy, step on his foot. Ain't no uncontested. Mm-hmm. Wes will knock you. He got Kareem under the basket, out of bound, to push Kareem. And once he push you out, you don't come back in because he, he'll get you. And it's like pushing the fire hydrant. They don't do that. I mean, you know, a lot of reasons nobody teaching guys to do that. And they think, well, I get a foul. Well, not if you establish yourself to the referees as this the way I play. So I learned all that from Wes. Um, Paul Silas couldn't jump over a quarter. Board, he was a though. tough guy, though. Tough board. Not that big or nothing. Uh, Jim Brewer in, in Cleveland, 6'9", 245. They just brewed like the people booing. They don't brew. And I think he went to Minnesota, too. I mean, just tough guys. Not going to get 25 points or nothing. But they're going to board. Buck Williams, board. Get paid to do it. You got to go get it. So I enjoyed it because, you know, I'm like, I'm getting all this glass on these tall guys. I had my forearm in the kidney and the lower back. <laughs> you know, I was whooping it pretty good, so he didn't want that whooping. He didn't want that whooping. Yeah. Washington, Atlanta, and mm-hmm. then New Orleans. How did it come about that you ended up with the New Orleans Jazz? Well, in Washington, I had a three-year contract. I was the San Antonio Spurs' number one pick and they offered me a four-year contract with the same amount of money. You know, I went to the Bullets. Lenny Elmore from Maryland was the Bullets' first pick. He went to the Pacers as their first pick, so they kind of moved me up the ladder. So I had a three-year contract, and after my second year, you know, almost halfway, Dick Mata came from Chicago and took over the Bullets, and he 
traded me to uh, to to Atlanta, and uh, John Drew, who's deceased now, Super Lou Hudson, Thirty One, something like that. Uh, guys like that, that's where I play with. So we, Hubie was great. He let Lou Hudson shoot, and me shoot, and John Drew shoot. <laughs> he let nobody <laughs> shoot. And then after the 41 games there, Ted Turner was the owner. And then when I came up to be a restricted free agent, negotiating with Ted, which I was part of my negotiations, negotiations all the time. I went in the hotel room, sitting right down with the owners, general manager, president, all of them. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable, but I, I just done that. I didn't believe in sitting in the hotel. So the guy I had, I don't want to talk about him, but he, Ted, when it was kind of tied up in the Atlanta Braves, the uh, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Atlanta Flames, and he just won America's Cup, so the cash was a little tight. He wanted to def- defer a lot of my money, and I told my lawyer, "Let me let me use half of my deferred money to buy into uh, Turner Broadcasting and the shares and all." Well, Ted would have done it. It didn't cost him no money, so my lawyer didn't do it. I was 25, I don't know what to do. So I didn't do it. That's a long story. Louis Sheffield, who went to Miami, ran Miami. He was the uh, New Orleans uh, general manager. He came to my house in Washington. We sat down and talked. He made me offers about coming. I said, I'll let you know in the morning. They come back in my house, they stayed with me. He came back in the house, a truck. Before I get on the plane, what did it take to get you in New Orleans? <laughs> I gave him some more numbers, just, you know, you throw stuff out. I didn't think right. he was going to do it. And I said, I'd like to have a Rolls Royce. Oh, I just, just throwing stuff. He said, okay. He okay. <laughs> <I'm going>. <laughs> well, I, I, he gave me everything I wanted. We shook hands, went to the airport. I was going to New Orleans. People in Atlanta booed me and hated me. Oh, you left the Hawks? I got to go. You got a Rolls Royce. I got I got Rolls <laughs> Nobody, I don't think Kareem had a Rolls Royce. <laughs> but you're a pretty good player. Pretty well, good player. Well, you know, people actually say, why would the Jazz treat you? I mean, I could have ended up here. When they got Carmelo on there, 84? 85. Oh. Yeah, yeah 85. I've been, been 34. A little older than. Yeah. Yeah. I would have, yeah, I could have been around. Guys played 34. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was over the hill. Good he did. Like when I, that's right, good at 36. Like when I went to the Knicks with Cartwright and Marvin Wilson, two seven-footers, I was only playing like 20 minutes a game. Out of Nick League, maybe I'm not Cartwright and Wilson, 33-year-old little old guy. <laughs> so, you know, I get a, I didn't get a chance to get the number one forwards and get the little time working with them. You know, I, I had a few years left because I was still starting. I wouldn't play this long, and that was a huge reason, because I was old. But I... Nobody out-rebounded me but Wesson Soul and Evan Hayes when they were Washington. And after that... And those are your first two years in the... I don't care who it was. <laughs> what was it like playing in New Orleans alongside Pete? What kind of player was Pete to play with? First got there, he was very, very selfish mm-hmm. and standoffish. Mm-hmm. When we travel on the road, you know, all the guys in the hotel, he stayed on the floor by himself. Not, I mean, no, no players, no coaches, no press or not. Floor by itself. We get off the elevator, and, uh, I'm on the 11th floor. I can't get no rest of other players on the floor. Real standoff. You know, we going to eat tonight. Well, where we going to eat tonight, man? Never went 
the dinner, lunch, nothing with people. So mm -hmm. we became pretty good for some reason or another. I don't know why, but we did. He started liking me, and then I started talking to him, making him understand no matter what a player do, whatever, you're going to get all the credit in Louisiana. Because <laughs> he's their son. In Louisiana. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about nobody getting no credit. Let's play and try to win. And we we started doing that. When he got hurt, he missed 26 games. We only missed two games out of the playoff. I think the Hawks beat us out. Yeah. And he had that Lennox Brace, probably never seen it, that metal ugly thing. But he missed 26 straight games, and we missed playoff by two games. We didn't win with 39 games, I think, that year, 39 and 43. But Pete missed 43 games. Yep. And Goody was 34, he just told me, or something like that. So, you know, all they had to do, get a few more players, keep working, you know. You know the story that could have been our number one pick, don't you? Yeah. Magic. Uh, yeah, no. gave a good rich. They gave, they gave, the, the Jazz gave the Lakers the future pick for Goody. Yep. For Goody was, I mean, my boy, but he was 34 years old. <laughs> I think, I think two number one picks. They, they gave him two, yeah. I was like, for a 34 year old guy, not like I say, you know, we're talking business. Barry Mendelson. You know that name? Yeah. He you he fell homework, he, he fell in love with Gail Goodrich. I know I love Barry love love me love all us. But he's the one that negotiated that we, compensation. But Wallace was too. You know we played in one little corner of the Zoofanol. Yeah. Like played outside. Oh yeah. Oh you shooting the ball too high too low, craziest thing you ever seen. But uh yeah it was great. Uh, we drew pretty good back then for New Orleans. I mean before that they weren't drawing nothing but. We had to draw at least 10,000 back then. Not too bad. I just thought they were going to build a team. Uh, Louis Sheffield almost lost his life. You don't know the story. The management told him to build the Jazz, do whatever you got to do, blah, 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 blah. He tried to trade Pete Melrich. Oh, yeah, and you told me to that. Cleveland, I told you the lesson. Yeah. Tried to trade him to Cleveland for Bingo Smith, Campy Russell. I don't know who else. David Duke sent his boys down to Louis Fitzgerald House. They burned the cross, right? Burned the cross like one o'clock in the morning on his lawn. He, him and his wife packed up. First thing smoking the next morning, he told me the story personally. I said, Louis, what? Got out of there. He said, they told me to build a team, but we weren't talking about Pete. <laughs> so people don't stay in our west and our time was bad. Louis got out of there. David Duke sent his boys down. So that's the story about Louis. I survived it all. I don't know how. <laughs> Amazing. At times, it's just, you know, we, we, me and Aaron, we'd be in the French Quarter at 3 o'clock in the morning, and we thought it was 12 o'clock. Where are you having so much fun, JP? I say 3 o'clock. We got, we got practice at 1030. You ever show up late? No, I, I was always punctual. Okay. All right. An hour before because I'm in there working okay. myself. I didn't need nobody. I've been there in high school. I'm in the gym by myself. So I'm an hour early, an hour after. Got a couple of young rooks, James Hardy. We can go on one on. I did that with the sons, with Larry Nance. I got Larry Nance ready to go every day, every practice, telling John McLeod, John, big fella can run like a deer. Jump. Oh, he ready, truck. He ready. So I always was early in that state a little late, unless they wanted to go somewhere and get something neat downtown. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> now, I didn't come in late, and I worked every day in practice, no sitting around. Now, Dennis Johnson didn't like to work in Phoenix. He loafing. 
<laughs> the coach would find the whole team because Dennis Johnson loafing down the floor. Mm. Nope, not my money. I, I'm not loafing. Well, you're your teammate. Oh. Oh, that's why I was controversial. <laughs> I just took off over the team. Don't find me. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't doing it. Kick him out of practice, find me. Yeah. Find all of us. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, they didn't like me too much. I wasn't a good old yes or balls guy. I just never been like that. I didn't do nothing wrong. Just trying to help him win. I mean, you know. <laughs> How cool is it that they're bringing you, Gail, Aaron, here to Utah, celebrating you, oh, you and your time? Well, you see, we over there hugging, talking. Good to say, 80 years old. You gotta be kidding me. Look great. He does. And uh, Aaron, my age, he come from ground the same year and also he was my small forward. Me, Aaron, and Rich Kelly up front. Gail and Pete in the backcourt. James McElroy, different guys. Yeah, it was great playing with those guys. I didn't play that long with them, you know. Like I say, they traded me to Phoenix and all, but we had a good time, and we didn't have the three-point line. Yep. Pete would have shot 10 a game easy. A.J. would have shot a bunch. A.J., ooh. A.J. from the parking lot. A.J. had range. That line wouldn't have been nothing A.J. Now, I'm telling you, he, he let it go. And Nate Williams. Yep. 6'5", 240. Nate, Nate a shooter from that little, I call it 10-second line. But no, we didn't have the three-point line. We got it later, but we, we didn't have it playing with them. See, it's been good for A.J. because he kind of played outside, and he would open up the middle, no double team on me. Oh, A.J. and Pete would have shot it. I was setting the screens. Oh, man, man, man. They would have loved it. They would have absolutely loved it. Pete and Lee score in the NBA now. He ain't no three-point line. Yep. <laughs> I think one year you ever did 30 or 31, 32, you put four. Four more three-pointers on there. At least three more. Yeah. Three more than either. I was like in college. He used to be the all-time lead and yep. never had no three-point line with no threes. And no shot clock, right? Uh, no shot clock. And he did in three years. Three years. Couldn't play a freshman year. Exactly. When I was a freshman, I they they started freshman mm-hmm. playing again. But he didn't. Like Kareem didn't play yeah. freshman ball. Yep. In three years there. And no three-point line. Man, he would have easily averaged six more points because I ain't but three threes. Yep. Well, he shoot nose 60% of the time. Mm-hmm. Let's go back. <laughs> Review the tape. Yeah. So, you know, you know, t- we're talking about Curry. I, I would think over 50% of his shots are three-point shots. Yeah. I would think that easy. And if Pete Nim and, and Aaron and other guys that had range – it would have been a different career for them. Different career. Well, you'll be able to see a couple jumpers tomorrow night as the <laughs> Pelicans and Jazz play each other. Oh, that's who played tomorrow, the yes, Pelicans? Yes, playing the Pelicans. A little full circle moment, New Orleans in Utah. You'll oh, be able man. To I didn't know who they were playing. They're playing the Pelicans. Okay. Well, two two teams playing each other. themselves, basically, exactly. in a sense. <laughs> exactly. The oh, Jazz playing the That will be good. I don't know none of the you know, Pelicans, but. I see the game now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You'll be able to watch it. Oh, man, ain't that something? And you'll be able to watch it with your former teammates, Gail Goodrich, Aaron James. Oh, we're going to be talking about the game. <laughs> he is Leonard <laughs> Truck Robinson on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Truck, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, JP. I appreciate you.